Today, we're going to be talking uh, in our series, we're going to be continuing our series called Picture This. And Picture This is a series where we take a single graphic and we use that graphic to explain what the scriptures teach us or what God is trying to show us. And today, as we were worshiping, the last song really, really stuck out to me and it really kind of was impacting me as I was thinking about my history my own personal history, and I started to think about your history, there's a line in the last song that says, you take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. You take what the enemy tried to use in your life, in your past, and in your history, and you turn it for good. Now just think about all the things that have happened in your life. That are evil. Not things that you've done. You're like, oh, I'm not calling you an evil person. Well, at least not yet in this talk. I'll, I'll work it in later. All the evil things that you have been around, the evil things that you've been exposed to, the things that have hurt you, that you had nothing to do with, the evil that was caused in your life by someone else or something else, you take what the enemy tried to use as evil and you turn it into Something good, something good comes out of it. And I didn't want to jump to the conclusion of what I'm talking about today, but I couldn't help it. That's where we're headed this morning. And I want to show you this, the, an empty graphic of what we're using. I'm going to explain what this means today. And that's the center graphic. And I think the way to talk about why, uh, why God uses what the enemy causes for evil for good is to start with a simple question. Why do I do what I do? Why do I say certain things in certain situations? Why do I feel like the need to jump into a certain situation and speak a certain way? Why do certain types of things that people say to me trigger me or make me angry? Uh, Why do I sometimes people please and I can't say no when I really should say no and set better boundaries? Why do I do the things I do? Why do I feel the need to make a joke when really it doesn't require a joke? It requires like actually empathetically listening to someone. Why am I afraid of certain things? Why do I have a phobia? I have a phobia. Do you have a phobia? You don't have to answer that. I'm not going to actually make you say, here, let's go around there and say your name and your phobia. I do have a phobia and uh, it's band-aids. I can't, I'm scared of band-aids, but other people have real phobias. (laughs) Uh, why, you know, why do I sometimes get really angry when somebody says something specific and the other person who's next to me is like, that that should not be triggering you. You're too angry for this moment. And it got me thinking, why do we do the things that we do? Why are there, why do we get triggered in certain ways? Why do we find ourselves like in patterns, like watching six hours of TV a day, or why do we find ourselves scrolling through our phone way too many hours and you get the little notification on Sunday, hey, your iPhone usage screen time is up like 10 hours or whatever it is. Why do we find ourselves uh, addicted to shopping or uh, certain kinds of spending? Like all the different things. What, like if you ever think about the things, like, man, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I hurt that person? Why did I make that mistake? There's all these things, these choices that we have. We never really wrestle with where those are rooted and why those things took place in our lives. And the fact is, sometimes when we're doing something on a surface level, the thing is not the thing. You understand what I mean? The thing is not the thing. There's something happening below the surface in our lives 
that triggers and things bubble up and we go, oh my gosh, I spent $2,000 shopping for clothes. What, what is that? How is that connected? And so today I'd like to show you where some of those things come from. And I believe there's foundations of it in the scriptures. So I've called today's talk, Why We Do What We Do. And I'm going to pray and invite God's presence. And I really believe that God wants to speak. Uh, he definitely wants to talk to me today. And I think he wants to talk to each of you about how certain things in your life, how they're rooted and how they affect you on the day to day. So I'd like you to take a step out in faith with me and be open to what God might want to say. Does that make sense? Okay. So I'm going to pray and then let's take a look at the scriptures. God, um, we're so grateful for what you're doing in this community. We're thankful uh, for everything that Kevin got up and shared. And we're so grateful that this is your business. You are all about redeeming and renewing this city and this world. And God, it was not our idea. It is your idea. We get to join you in your work. And we worship you and praise you for that. And so God, I ask that you would come again in this talk and that you would begin to renew us, that you would show us what you're doing in our lives and show us how the choices and the experiences we have from our past, how, how that can uh, be turned into good. I pray all this in Jesus name. Amen. So we're going to be taking a look at a uh, scripture. It's in Luke chapter four. Now, if you don't know what Luke is, it's one of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And those are the four gospels that talk about Jesus's life and his stories and his death and his resurrection. And in Luke chapter 4, there's this really interesting thing where Jesus goes to the temple and he stands up and he talks about what he's come here to do. It's kind of like his declaration of independence. It's like, here's what I'm here to do, everybody. And there's a result of this. Everyone in the temple's like, whoa, this guy is crazy. You can't see these kinds of things. And so eventually these, this set in motion the things that would get him killed. Uh, and so it starts off in Luke chapter 14. Uh, Luke chapter four in verse 14, you can follow along on the screen. It says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Wow. So Jesus walks in and he says, you know, I'm here to bring healing. I'm here to bring wholeness. I'm here to undo all the evil that has been done. And let me just pause and say, this is the essence of the good news. There is a difference between advice and good news. Advice is, hey, you should 
do this thing and it will make your life better. The gospel is news. News is inherently different than advice. News is, hey, something has happened. Something has been done that changes the course of life. For instance, if your football team, I don't know if anyone here in Los Angeles knows of anything about football, but I've already started the analogy. So here we go. So, so your football team, if your football team wins on Sunday, that's just a fact. Either, either you choose to live in light of that reality or you don't. And the gospel, what Jesus did and has done and continues to do, that's a reality. That is a reality we are invited to. He says, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, which means all that Jesus has come to do is to bring us this news. The way things used to be no longer have to be that way for you. The things you have experienced that have hurt you don't have to hurt you anymore and you can find healing. The ways and systems that uh, the systems and the injustice that we see in our world, they're going to change. They're going to be fixed. I am the one who's bringing that good stuff. Amen. And that is true, not just for systems in society. It's true for us that God is doing something through Jesus to bring healing to our world. And so when people turn their lives to Jesus, when they say, Jesus, I look to you, I give you my life. I don't want to live life my own way. When we turn towards Jesus, we are aligning ourselves with this new reality, with this new news. A lot of times people think, well, following Jesus means you just got to do better. No, following Jesus means you live in light of what is already available to you. And that is the power of God. That's all I have to say about that. So anyway, back in verse 18, I want to focus on verse 18 and 19. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom from the prisoners, recovery of sight from the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I want to focus on these verses. And there's actually another version. I went to look at the Greek uh, and there's another line in there, uh, another translation. And it says, he has sent me to bring healing to the brokenhearted. That's an interesting word. Heal, uh, brokenhearted healing to the brokenhearted. What does it mean to be brokenhearted? Well, on one level, it means something has been done to somebody or somebody has hurt something, somebody else. But beyond that, how does being brokenhearted actually affect us? It affects what we believe about others. It affects what we believe about ourselves. It even creates, if if we've been hurt by something, sometimes it can even cause stress and anxiety because we live in light of that bad experience, that bad truth. Do you know what I'm saying? So which leads me to this idea, and some of you know what faith walking is, and they have this great illustration where they talk about two types of anxiety. I want to talk to you about that. Two types of anxiety, acute anxiety and chronic anxiety. And maybe some of you have heard me talk about this before. If you have, then just, you know, deal with it. And so what we have here under acute anxiety, acute anxiety is different. Acute anxiety is different than chronic anxiety. It is, uh, and we have a definition, I think, on the thing. Acute anxiety is occurs when there's a real time-dated threat. Your child is in the street or your house is on fire. Ah. Your brain processes the threat in a nanosecond. You leap into action and solve the problem. Okay, I get the hose out and I put out my fire in my kitchen. Or, uh, you know, the child's in the street, you run out. You grab the child. 
you remove the child from the threat. And now your brain eventually returns to a normal state as the threat is removed. Acute anxiety. You have all these things. You're on the highway, on the 405, and everything's going great. And all of a sudden you look away and all of a sudden everyone slams on your brake. Acute anxiety instantly enters your soul. You're like, I do not want to get in a car. And you hit the brakes and everything's okay. Um, Acute anxiety. All the things, all the examples. But acute anxiety is different than chronic anxiety. I have a definition of chronic anxiety. Chronic anxiety is this. Chronic anxiety is like the background noise in our lives. Never fully goes away and is connected to vows we've made as a response to the bad things we've experienced. It sits below the surface of our day-to-day in the subterranean levels in our hearts. Now, going back to what I said at the beginning of the talk, have you ever been around somebody who is really anxious about something that you aren't stressed about? Because in reality, the thing is not the thing. When the spouse says like the smallest thing, then they don't intend anything by it. Not this is, I'm not speaking from personal experience. I'm talking about other marriages. When the spouse says the smallest thing and the other spouse just blows up and then it creates an argument and you go back and forth. Or when somebody drops an ice cream cone on accident and they start weeping uncontrollably, you're like, okay, uh, this is not about the ice cream. Okay, this is not about saying that I like your dress. This is something else altogether. And the people around you go, well, there's something else going on there. Because the thing is not the thing. There's something else going on. Where does chronic anxiety come from? Well, it comes from a broken heart. It comes from things not really working out the way they're supposed to. Something is disordered and it's not working anymore. And Jesus says he came to fix it. So what does this actually look like? And so I want to bring to you our central graphic for the day. I think we have a blank version here. And what we call this is the structure's of inner healing. And what this does is it explains what's actually going on in our hearts and in our minds. And so I'm going to kind of guide us through this. And we have our first slide, which is life situations. Okay. You have a life situation. It's the thing that happened in your life on a day-to-day basis. The thing that happened that you didn't want to have happened. You were hanging out with your wife or your husband and everything's going well. And all of a sudden you get in this really large argument and you're like, Hey, how did I I get there. Um, and, or like, Hey, you were at work and everything was going well. And all of a sudden, like you like do something and like everyone at the meeting is really upset with you or, you know, uh, whatever. So the life situations are the things that happened to us that we didn't want to have happen. All right. Now below the surface of that is the second layer, which is dysfunctional behavior. So these are slightly below the surface things that exist the responses, the patterns of behavior that run contrary to all that God has for us. Like, such as like, you see, okay, like, why did I get so mad? Well, what we're seeing is a dysfunctional behavior below the surface where there's a pattern of rage or anger or uncontrollable fear. This is where depression lives. This is where phobias start to emerge. This is where distrust lives. This is defensiveness or the inability to receive criticism or blaming or insecurity uh, with another person. So you're unable to be intimate. And there's relational isolation or high levels of anxiety and stress or panic attacks or thoughts of suicide, thoughts of violence. And usually what happens is these dysfunctional behaviors, their patterns that exist And the result of them is they pop up in our lives. All of a sudden, man, I got really, really drunk on this one weekend. And all these things happened in a row over the course of two or three hours. When I woke up the next day, 
I was really ashamed or something or something like that. Or like, hey, I found myself like unable to really open up with this person and it's really caused, they kind of been backing away from me as a result of it. There's no trust there because I can't open up because of what's going on even deeper than that. Uh, This is where a lot of people have their problems. And if you, this group I'm sure is nice, super squeaky clean Christian people here on a Sunday morning, but even an anecdotal, a bit of honesty, they're Maybe you don't really relate to some of the lists that I shared, but below the surface, there's probably some dysfunctional behaviors in your life, just as there are in mine. Now, what we find in most therapy and what we find in most churches and in most community groups that meet in churches is they usually deal with these top two layers. They deal with the life situation and they deal with the dysfunctional behavior. Hey, you are yelling and raging out at people. You got to stop doing that. And the reason you and that's a pattern. We see it in your life. We're calling it out on you. Hey, you are getting, you're finding yourself in very precarious situations with the opposite sex and it's hurting you and it's actually hurting them. How about you just stop doing it? Just stop. Just cut it off. Just break up with the person. Just cut them out of your life. You know that they're bad news for you. Just, just break up. Just get it, get it out of your life. Most of what we deal with, like I said, in the church deals around these two things. Just stop the behavior, start a new behavior. Power of habit. Charles Duhigg says, hey, you need to do something for 30 days in a row and you will start to create new habits in your life. Which, by the way, is not a bad thing. It's just as a side. Like if you want to create new habits in your life, just do something for 30 days. And so like a lot of our advice will be stop doing it, do something else for 30 days. And before you know it, you'll be a changed person. The problem with that is sometimes the things we want to deal with in our lives, they keep coming back up. We can't deal with it. We don't change. We don't actually become better because there's something deeper going on. There's a deeper brokenheartedness we have yet to address. So let's look at number three. Below dysfunctional behavior and below life situations, we have coping mechanisms. Coping mechanisms, the things we do to hide or mask pain or anxiety. This is where we develop things like uh, where we're, when we're distracted or we're absent. But more, it's more than being distracted or absent. Sometimes it's performance. Sometimes we work really hard in our jobs uh, to avoid having to think about really that dysfunctional behavior or we work, yeah, we work too much. Maybe we're perfectionists and perfectionism is essentially like, I cannot have anything go wrong because if anything goes wrong, it's a reflection on me. And if it's a reflection on me, I can't deal with that for a number of reasons, which we'll talk about. Some people are addicted to approval. Some people are addicted to attention. Some people rescue other people. Like if someone's about to like go, go down the way of like, like saying something dumb in a group of people, this person will rescue the situation and fix it. I, I don't have that problem. I love watching a, 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 a train crash when someone's going to say something. I'm like, oh boy, let's see what happens. So uh, <laughs> if anyone here knows me, you know that I'll let it happen. Uh, <laughs> and then I'm like, and someone goes in and stops rescuing. I want to see what happens. Um, you, so uh, there's the chronic need to get attention, like I mentioned. There's manipulation, lust for control. Chemical, this is where chemical abuse uh, uh, in uh, sexual addiction and eating disorders and shopping addiction, all the things. This is where even some of the child abuse uh, comes from. And what you're essentially doing at this level, 
to deal with the dysfunctional, uh, that results in dysfunctional behaviors, that results in the life situations, is you're coping with something. So the thing is not the thing. So in order to deal with, like, something, you're covering it up, and you're trying to fix it by giving yourself a high and making yourself feel better. Are you with me? Does this make sense so far? Does it, are you tracking? Okay, cool. I looked directly at Kayla, and I go, Kayla, I need to know. And she's like, yes. Yes. You know, and also, yeah, so that's all. All right. Thank you, Caleb. All right. So you're speaking for everyone, all uh, 3,000 of us here. So uh, here today. So, so what's, um, you know, uh, uh, and so we have, um, so coping, coping mechanisms result in what we have listed here, which is emotional upheaval. The reason we have coping mechanisms, the reason we have uh, dysfunctional behavior, which results in the life situations which leads us to this, uh, emotional people. There are emotions that we feel that are real. And these emotions are not happy, like that feeling when you ride that ride for the first time at Disneyland. These are the negative things, the negative emotions. They're popping up from somewhere, so you try to cope with it. And though coping with it deals, results in like patterns, which results in the thing that you didn't want to have happen, but it happens. You're like, how did I do that? Well, there's a pattern of it and you're coping, you're using coping mechanisms. And below that, you've had these emotions where you can't help the way that you feel. The emotions are just a response to something else that's going on way deeper inside. And we hide these emotions with the coping mechanisms, which results in the dysfunctional behaviors, which results in the life situations that we have. But these emotions make us aware of something. And in these cases, the emotions are telling us, and the act is a response that, hey, hello. For me, it's the little man. The little man inside is not happy here. There's something not right going on in my life. There's something I need to deal with, so I'll cope with it with this or that or the other. Not everything is right. And I think about that for us, like, if you're honest with our, yourselves, if we're honest, not everything is working all the time. There's emotions that we have not really taken time to process. Where do they come from? That leads to the second to last layer, which is lies and distortions. The reason we have this, these emotions, this negativity, is often because of lies, distortions, and I'll add a third one, vows. You can follow along, and if you're writing, you can write all these in. Lies, what is a lie and a distortion? There's certain things that come to our mind that, like, we have believed about ourselves. Hey, I'm not good enough. Hey, I don't have what it takes. I am worthless. I'm bad, and I'll never be good at anything. I'm damaged goods. Nobody could ever possibly love me. You're ugly. People don't like you, and they never will. My parents hate me. And they're not wrong. They should probably hate me. Some of these things that we believe about ourselves, they're really bad. So if you grew up and you believed, hey, my parents hate me and I'm worth hating. I'm not worth being loved. That's going to do a number on you. That's going to change the way you see the world. That's going to change the way you show up in the world. So you better believe you're going to have some emotions. You're going to be like, oh, this is painful to live. And you might not go every day thinking about, oh, my parents hate me. 
or my parents just, you know, my dad said I was ugly or whatever, whatever it was. But like you push those down and you cope with them. You have to deal with that emotional upheaval, which results in patterns of behavior just to deal with what's going on at a deeper level. So we've made it four ways down. Do you see what I'm, do you see what I'm doing here? It's getting worse and worse. <laughs> it's getting worse. It's like, oh, why do I do what I do? Well, you know, there's a pattern which results in the coping mechanisms, which results in the emotions. And at the bottom here, at the very bottom, we get to the source of what it is. And below lies and distortions. Those lies and distortions are built on something that we call wounds. Wounds. Wounds are the actual things that we have experienced that affect us at the deepest levels of our being. You may not want to hear this, but wounds are the things that keep us from living the life we're supposed to have. Wounds are the thing that actually results and trigger a set of events which result in why we do what we do. Wounds are the things that make you regret the decisions that you make even right now. Wounds are the things that result in the things that you do that you can't stop, that you want to stop. Wounds are the thing that somebody said to you, the thing that a parent did to you, the thing that the aunt or the uncle allowed to have happen. Wounds are the experiences we have when we're younger that form us. So we start to develop a view of self that's a lie, but we live by it. And we know there's something not working in our world, which results in emotions that we have to do something with, which results in coping with it, which results in the fact that you yelled at your spouse in an uncontrollable way. Or you have a problem with addiction or shopping or not the shopping's bad, but too much shopping or whatever it is below the surface. There are things that have been done to us or we have participated in that have hurt us that result in the behaviors that we have. And my point is this until we're willing to look at the deep things that happen to us or we've experienced the ways that we've been wounded, the ways that have, the things that have been done that have shaped us. We're not really going to be able to live the life that we really want to live. We're not really going to be able to experience what Jesus came to do, which is says, I've come to heal the brokenhearted. You want to deal with the brokenheartedness. You have to get serious about what happens or has happened to you in your life. Now I have some stories, uh, and I'll briefly share one of the things that I had to wrestle with growing up with. And I, I share with you that I grew up in a home that was following Jesus and, uh, they came to faith right before they had me. Uh, and a little bit about that is, uh, my parents, um, came to faith, both started hanging out and got pregnant with me real quick. Uh, and they weren't married and they, uh, they got married shortly thereafter. And, uh, and so my mom's wedding dress had to be altered (laughs) for little Chrissy. And, uh, yeah, uh, my, I cleared this with my parents. We're good. So just relax. <laughs> so like, you know, they're good. Like, it's not like a shock. So, uh, and so like they got pregnant with me and then, um, I, for, for a bunch of years in my life, I never realized, I didn't really think about them as well. I just thought that I was some miracle Jesus baby that came out in three months after they were married because I couldn't conceive. And that combined with the fact that there was a fairly conservative young uncle church that was very much like, you know, um, you know, Hey, um, 
they would say things like, you know, they, uh, they had a baby out of wedlock. They use the term wedlock. Uh, and maybe some of you have used that term. I'm pretty sure I have too, but uh, like wedlock. You're like, oh no, how could you have a child out of wedlock? And, um, <laughs> and uh, you know, I, 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 honestly, I think societally, like it's really important to have like some sort of commitment and foundation before children. But like when you're a kid and you hear like the wedlock thing, you're like, it does a number on you. And then about 11 or 12, like my parents sat me down. They're like, Hey, cause we were watching some old videos of their wedding. Uh, and they're like, uh, I don't think Chris knows. And I was like, yes, I'm the miracle child. And, uh, <laughs> and they're like, Hey, uh, I just like, my dad said many times, I just want to let you know that like, uh, I don't know if you could tell, <laughs> uh, but, like, uh, you know, we, we were pregnant with you before we were married. And we just want to say that, like, we've always loved you. And, like, we, you know, we, we always wanted to have you. Some, something to that effect. I'm like, okay. And then, like, I left. But something actually triggered in me. And a wound was created, not because of anything my dad did in that moment. And he wanted to do the best that he could. But the reality of, like, just how it rolled out. Like, that it happened. And for some reason in like my early like teens, 12, 13, I developed this lie based on the wound of like, like how I was told or how I came into the world. I developed a lie somewhere along the line and the lie goes like this, Chris, you're a mistake. You're not supposed to be here. And anytime I would get in a fight with my parents or sometimes anything would go not go right in middle school or high school, I'd be like, well, you're a mistake. You're not even supposed to be here. Anymore. You don't, you're not even supposed to exist. And then I would run the scenario like, I wonder what my mom and dad really thought when they found out they were really pregnant. They were probably really sad. They probably ran all the options. I'm not even supposed to be here. And that lie got deep into my soul. And the result was emotions of, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm sad. I got to do something with this. So my preferred coping mechanism, my preferred dysfunctional behavior, you're not going to believe this. My preferred dysfunctional behavior at that age was uh, humor. And so what I would do is in order to feel validated, to overcome the feeling of being a mistake that my parents didn't intend to have me is I would like make myself laugh. And I'd make my friends laugh. And this carried on uh, into, uh, uh, you know, and so what it led to is uh, the chronic uh, people-pleasing and attention-seeking. And I would show up in environments and just be like, I'm here. And I would, like, study David Letterman late at night and then rehearse what he did and then tell all the people all the little things in my own words. And I, like, got good at it. I actually got good in my dysfunctional behavior. And even now, there might be even some people that say I'm funny because I built, like, this foundation of having to cope with, like, I actually am not even supposed to be here. I'm a mistake. And so I did that. And then later, to fast forward... Like, I went to this, uh, I'm going to tell you how it all got better right now. Uh, <laughs> what if I just ended the talk? Like, if we just... <laughs> so, that's me. I mean, that's half of, like, therapists out there anyway. Well, we got to the source, so uh, time's up. Thank God there's another side to this graph. That Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. Yeah? Yeah. So, like, I, some of you might be looking at me and like, your story is not that bad. 
And I go, hey, you're right, but it's my story. Do you want to come up here and do this? No, just kidding. <laughs> Some of you, like, are go, that's not that bad. Because a family member did that thing. And some of you uh, have had experiences with family members or things that are so atrocious that if I continue talking about it right now, I won't be able to finish this talk. And some of you have had things done and said to you that are so much worse, but they're still real. And you, like, try to forgive and forget, and you're like, whoever told you that, you just need to, like, tell them, you know, and you try to, like, get over it, and you're like, oh, God, take the pain, but it's not really working, and your life doesn't look that different. I am suggesting to you that some of the things that we have experienced result in how we are today, and what I'm here to tell you is that it's not the end of the story. Getting present to your pain and being honest about what happened That's the first step. But there is another step that requires participation with the Holy Spirit. And that participation with the Holy Spirit can result in a new thing. Now, the other half of my story is I got real present to what God was doing uh, through this class I took in a seminary for this guy named Terry Wardle. And through the result of people praying with me and inviting God to do a new work in me, God spoke new things to me over my life. And one of the things that he brought to mind was Jeremiah 1.5. Of course, I'm in seminary. Of course, he's going to bring a verse to mind. I mean, like, what do you expect? So in Jeremiah 1.5, it says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. And when someone prayed that over me, there was a new experience that I had with the Holy Spirit that broke the power of that belief, that lie, that vow that I had made that I need to do this to be better. And a new healing came in. And so instead of a wound, I had a wound that was on the mend. It was repaired. And I'm like, yeah, I am okay. This will be all right. I do have a purpose in this life. I am not a mistake. And the result was that, like, I didn't have to be a chronic attention seeker. I mean, some of you might find that debatable. I mean, we're on a journey. We're on a journey. Uh, and and like, but like, I, I distinctly remember like overnight, like I didn't have to be funny. I could be funny because I wanted to. And God took what the enemy meant for evil and he turned it into something good. So now I get to wander around and hang out with you guys. And every once in a while I get to make a joke and we get to be friends and it's really fun. God changed that. And I don't have to be sad. And the same is the reality, and the same, and that's the same reality for you guys. That there is a pathway and a purpose and a vision that God has for you. And if you invite him to speak a new reality into your pain, into your experiences, those things that make you shudder and keep you up at night, the result can be a new way of living that affects what you do, what you do. I believe that for you. Guys, a lot of times we talk about the cross as being like the center of the gospel, I'm telling you, these are the benefits of the gospel. This is the reality that you can experience right now. You don't have to walk around with that pain. So let me show you a completed chart. I have a completed chart somewhere. So what happens when God speaks a new word and brings healing into the pain and experiences you had in the past. So instead of lies and distortions, you have truth and acceptance. I 
am a full person. I am intended to be here by God's design. Even though how I got into the world is a little different than how other people get into the world, there is a, uh, the truth is there is a bigger plan here that we don't understand, and Chris Meekins gets to be a part of it. I am accepted by God. I am accepted. And instead of emotional upheaval, there's comfort and peace. Ah, I don't, I'm not sad. I'm like, just okay. You know that feeling when there's nothing wrong? I know they're fleeting. Because I know you got to get to the thing and do better at your work and pay your bills. But every once in a while, there's these moments like, ah, it's okay. That's like, imagine that for like that thing that you've experienced. Imagine that thing that results in the chronic anxiety going away. Comfort and peace. So instead of dysfunctional behaviors and coping mechanisms, you have empowered living. So you don't have like the patterns of behavior that result in like life situations that you don't want to have in your life. You have like empowered living that's connected to the power and the direction of the Holy Spirit. You're like, God has done a work in me. I no longer have to live by that reality. That reality is broken. It's gone. And now I can just live my life the way it was supposed to be lived. That's what God intends. And so then you end up having the life situation. So instead of raging out on the person, you go, oh, no worries. Everything will be okay. Instead of acting out in an intimate way with someone who doesn't care about you, you think differently about relationships and what you want for your future. Instead of having like the maximum amount of intake of substances, you're like, I don't need that anymore. There's a peace that you have deeper in your life. God has come here to do that. God has come in the form of Jesus. The gospel says he's come to bring healing to the brokenhearted. And I believe for every one of you that God wants to do this for you. And you may not have a terrible experience. You may say your life is awesome. That's good. But God wants to bring healing to the area in your life that is brokenhearted. Whether it's huge or it's small or who cares, like, who you're comparing it to. God wants to do something new in you and change who you are. But he doesn't just want you to do behavior modification. This idea of, like, well, you need to stop doing it. He wants to actually heal you. And he wants to take that evil thing and he wants to turn it and bring it into this world as something good. And you'll never, like, probably forget the things that you've experienced. And you may have to set up boundaries with people that you've had negative experiences with. And we never want to say forgive and forget. You don't forget. Like, that's just bad. Like, this just doesn't work, right? Oh, I forgot you did the thing. Oh, no, that just doesn't happen. But we can start to release the pain we felt to God. And God can do a new work in us. He has come. It has been fulfilled in our hearing. He has come to bring healing and wholeness to the brokenhearted. And I believe that when we do this, when we are get honest and present about what's possible in the power of the gospel, we can actually live differently. Can you imagine? I don't know. I can't imagine all of you responding to this. But if, like, say if a percentage of us just like, we're like, okay, I'm going to get real present to my past. 
a percentage of us did this, do you, do you know what kind of impact we'd have like on a city? We say, hey, you don't have to live this way. We can live differently. We could probably change the world because we'd be living out the reality, the news that God heals people. I don't know how many people are here. I, I didn't count. I, n- I never count. Um, I just make sure like specific people are here. Nikki's here. That's good. Uh, in a room this size, um, there's some stuff that's gone down. And I, I, my heart goes out to you. And um, I believe that God is calling to you today uh, to offer you freedom and healing. I believe that. The other thing God doesn't, uh, one of the things God doesn't do is he doesn't force you uh, to experience healing. He isn't like, uh, if you've ever seen those uh, televangelist guys, they like bring them up and they're like, I don't know what was going to happen. They whack them so hard that they have to fall over. And they're like, what happened? Well, you have a concussion. That's not how Jesus works. Jesus says, I can bring healing, but you get to participate in your own healing. You have to take the first step. Left foot, then right foot, and then left foot. And I believe that God is breaking in today and that he wants to bring healing to some of you. But that's going to be a process. So what I'm about to do is I'm going to ask us to stand. And I'm going to invite people that want to bring something before God to make their way to the front right here. And I don't know if you know this, but it's like 10 by 10 area. There's nothing magical about it. But what it is, it's by getting out of your seat and participating, you're, you're joining up uh, with what we're doing here. But like you're also like, there's something physical about leaving your seat and saying, yeah, I want to take the first step in God doing something new in my life. So for you... Um, for some of you, I, I, I don't want, I won't, you know, I don't feel like I'm going to ask you to get in line. You're going to tell me what happened to you. But uh, you're present to, and you feel that like part of what you are today is connected to the, what has happened in your past. And I'm going to give you an opportunity for God to speak to you here in the front. And we'll actually have some of our prayer team be there to lay a hand on you. And I'm going to specifically ask our prayer ministry team to not go into like the details of the situation, we're not going to have counseling up here. What we're going to have is people laying hands on you and praying with whatever comes to mind and pray blessing and pray that God would do something new in you today. This is the gospel. This is one of the benefits of what God offers to you today. Amen? Why don't we all stand?